and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. So this week we're going to be discussing horror novels as we approach Halloween, which is just a few days after this posts. Yeah, I think so. As anyone who's listened for a while knows, I really do not like horror novels. (laughs) I do not like to be scared. So Anne suggested this topic, and I was reluctant, but we decided that what we're going to focus on are horror novels for people who like them and for people who don't. Right, we want to have a range. A range of horror and scary, kind of creepy Mm -hmm. novels. Because you're not opposed to Halloween. No, 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 no. I just don't like, don't to, be like to be scared. I don't so. find it entertaining to be scared. Right. Yeah. So there's so many books out there to read. And so mm-hmm. I just am not usually drawn to horror. But I do have three today to Yay. talk about. Well, it's right. funny when we talk about horror because I, I, if you say the word horror, I think gory. Yes, and I. that's not what I get into at all. No. And so, so there's a huge range of horror novels out there that I'm not really that attracted to yeah. because it's just not my... It's, it doesn't scare me mm-hmm. in the way that I find pleasurable. It's mm-hmm. it's like upsetting versus mm-hmm. versus chilling. Mm-hmm. So I tried to find some stuff that was sort of out of, out of my comfort zone a little bit, but still not too okay. far out of it. Yeah. Um, as far as like, I, I'm not going to read something that's going to bother me, and I don't want to make anyone read something that's going to bother right. them at a deep core level. Right. So, yeah, and that's um, I think it's like, and I was thinking about it when I was finding books for this because because surprisingly, I actually had multiple books to choose from in my reading past that I could have selected. Mm -hmm. And what I was realizing is I think my perception when I think of horror are some of those horror movies that are just so... Like the torture movies. Right, and they're just intended to just scare you at every turn and and really are gross. And And so I was like, but I've read some horror novels that I, I know are categorized as mm-hmm. horror, but that's not what they are at all. Right. And, you know, maybe they might have some supernatural element to mm-hmm. them, but not in that gory way that right. really that really turns me off. Yeah. So, so I was actually kind of glad to do this because it made me realize, no, I have, I have read yeah. a fair number. I mean, definitely a much, much smaller proportion of horror than anything else I've read. But mm-hmm. there are definitely books that have come to my attention through friends recommending or book right. reviews or whatever that I've picked up and read. And so I thought, oh, no, I do read them. I'm just, for some reason in my head, what I think about is not actually right. exactly what... I mean, it's just like any genre, like you have a narrow right. idea of it until you actually get involved in it and you realize it's so much more than just that narrow focus. Yeah, but I think in the 80s, horror movies meant slasher right. kinds of like Freddy Krueger kinds right. of things. And that that's just what's sort of embedded in, right. in my head. And then when I started to think about how much I love ghost stories, that mm. still is categorized as horror right. it's just a different thing yeah. so for people that really love gory stuff we won't be talking so yeah, much sorry. about that today um i find that somewhere yeah, else. yeah that's that's you know more power to you if that's what what does it for you at halloween then that's awesome but i can't deal with it so i didn't read them although some of my things were, were definitely more on that side than what i typically read okay good. um which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about when I get to those. All right. What's your first one? My first book is called The Devil in Silver by L- Victor Laval. And it begins with a man who calls himself Pepper being manhandled through the doors of a mental hospital in New York City. He only has hazy memories of getting into a fight with the ex-husband of a woman he's been casually dating. And when um, some uh, police officers came to arrest him, he attacked them as well. So 
so he's kind of in a, a bad situation at this point, but he knows that he isn't mentally ill and that he shouldn't be committed. And uh, later on, you find out that the only reason that he was brought to a mental, a mental hospital is because um, it meant less paperwork for the arresting officers who are at the end of their shift. And oh, so they just decide that this is how they're going to handle it. So when he gets there, he's told that he can be held for 72 hours against his will. And he... Um, He's a really large man. He's very, he's a professional mover. And so he's just this kind of super muscular and giant. And and he keeps thinking that he can maybe fight his way out of this situation. But then he thinks, well, that's what got me into the situation. So it's not the end of the world if I just have a weekend hanging out of this place. So he makes that decision that he's going to be compliant, but then he keeps hearing this strange snorting sound while he's um, being interviewed by the intake staff. And no one else seems to hear this except for one of the policemen. But but when he tries to confront him about what he heard, the policeman won't say anything. And he just he just brushes it off, and but is obviously pretty rattled by it. So um, the hospital is called New Hyde, and, he, and this man Pepper is taken to a room. And the whole hospital, as he's walking through it, is really run down and, and obviously strapped for cash. And, and just the whole thing is kind of weird. And he's told that he can go anywhere in the hospital except for Hallway 4. He's like, okay, this is cool. So he wakes up the next day and he's um, given medication to the point that he can barely move and he can't account for any time that's passing as he's um, as he starts taking these meds. And then that night he wakes up to find that there's this monster dropping down from his ceiling, um, like has displaced the ceiling tiles and is coming through the, the top of the ceiling. And he, this monster has the body of an old man, but the head of a bison. And he has, they describe it as dead white eyes, which is terrifying. <laughs> Um, and this creature attacks him, but then the hospital staff busts into the room and grabs the creature and, and takes it away. And so it's clear that they see this too. It isn't just in his head. So Pepper has no idea what to make of this, but he begins to make friends with other inmates and they also know about the creature and they call it the devil and they decide to band together and try to figure out what's going on. But they have to out with the hospital staff who is very into pushing pills on on the patients there so it's it's hard to describe this tone the tone of this book because it sounds really scary but the tone isn't really ominous or maybe i'm just not scared by monsters so it didn't i i don't know that i don't know that you'd be scared by this book if you were to read it it's more unsettling versus okay full-on fear in the way that other books i read scared me so and there's a lot of humor in the book too so it's just a it's a different tone than i was expecting from a horror novel and i think that the horror elements come more from the terrible conditions that these patients are that's what i was thinking anything in a mental hospital that that already brings sort of terrifying right well they don't have any control of what's happening to them there's one point where pepper refuses his meds and they start taking away basic rights of his like his clothes and and just various things that are uh, they say you go ahead and refuse these but there's going to be consequences right. and so but it's also not done in a way that's like i'm trying to think of of an example of like doctors gone wrong in in literature where where you see things like, like a dolores claiborne kind of style right. or, or no not dolores claiborne um, uh, misery is misery, the one yeah. yeah where where someone doesn't have control and someone is yeah. preying on them it's not quite like that but it still has this very unsettling feeling to it so the writing style is kind of literary it's a it's much more literary horror novel than i was expecting and it brings up a lot of issues of basic human rights and how society treats the insane so it kind of shares a lot of similarities with one flew over the cuckoo's nest Mm -hmm. which is referenced several times in the book so it's very it it, it was just an interesting it was a different take on a horror novel than Mm -hmm. what i was expecting from from when i picked it up 
but but really interesting mm-hmm. so i i enjoyed it how did you originally decide to read it do you remember um i went on the ra for all horror mm-hmm. site and they had a list i can't remember what the instance was that they made this list but i think it was some presentation that the person that runs the site i can't remember her name right now that she had done on on horror so it had sections on classic horror and horror you should be reading right now mm-hmm. and horror that is indicative of where the genre is right now and this was one of those so so it just seemed like it could be interesting so plus a lot of horror is written by white dudes and this one was not so i sort of liked the idea of reading something that wasn't just that stock horror writer that we see so often so well and victor laval was on at least one podcast that i listened to as a guest co-host one time i I feel like i've heard him more than once Uh um on two different podcasts maybe but uh such a charming guy yeah and so it made me even me want to read his books yeah and he i I read an interview with him last night and he has a really interesting background and has had a history with with uh, mental illness Mm -hmm. and so he had a lot of perspective on writing the story that that sounded really deeper than Mm -hmm. than just someone that's trying to scare you so um and he's been nominated for a literary award Mm -hmm. so it's it's it seems like i'd want to read more of his stuff i think maybe i'll try that maybe (laughs) All right, so my first one is Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yay. (laughs) Um, And it's a book that is intended for children or maybe teens. I'm not sure exactly where it's categorized. Yeah, maybe a middle middle grade, grade, I think. But I I found it so creepy. (laughs) I found it to be incredibly, incredibly creepy. I I know uh, we have established I'm easily scared, so maybe that's... Is it too surprising that I found it so creepy? But I was genuinely creeped out by this book. Um, But in a good way for me in a good way i would say yes i would agree with that in a good way so it's about a young girl named Coraline whose family has just moved into a new i think it's a flat like it's a apartment building basically Mm -hmm. not a house not a freestanding house Mm -hmm. uh and her parents are busy and distracted getting all settled in and living their adult lives and she's bored so she decides she's going to start exploring and she finds a a mysterious doorway and so being curious and 11 years old or however old she is she decides i'm going to open the door and see what's on the other side so she does and what she finds is a, a parallel version of her house and her building and along with just the physical structure she also finds parallel versions of her parents and her neighbors and all these people but something seems a little off about the people they're not exactly perfect replications of the real people but they are at first she's so excited because her other mother and father in this world are so kind and attentive towards her and she's like this is great you know my parents over on the other side are ignoring me and they're busy and they don't want to deal with me and these parents are super into me and Mm -hmm. they want to do all these things for me Um, but she slowly realizes that something just doesn't seem quite right and so she decides okay I've been here for a little while I'm going to go home when she goes home her real parents are missing and so she realizes that they are being held prisoner by these other people as well as the souls of some long-lost children are being held prisoner and it's her responsibility now to be brave and face all sorts of different challenges and dangers in her quest to free her parents and these other souls of these lost children part of what i found so creepy is that the other the other versions of the people have buttons for eyes black buttons for eyes (laughs) gives me chills just thinking about it (laughs) so it's like dolls kind of yeah. like living moving talking dolls which that is creepy it's like so that creepy, is so creepy. <laughs> i know i keep using the word creepy but there's no <laughs> other word to describe it it is it's just 
creepy. <laughs> There's also a good bit of humor. If you've ever read Neil Gaiman, he always injects a lot of humor mm-hmm. into his even his most serious stories have have a tiny bit of of humor. And so that balances out the the horror part. And I'm sure lots of children could handle this book. Like it's definitely written towards children. I'm, I don't want to scare away any parents that are listening that think it might it might be too scary for their children because it's. And there's also a movie of it. Yeah, it's a um, great movie. that's a great movie. Um, but it's just a legitimately good book for adults too, particularly those of us who shy away from the the more gory end of things. This is a great Halloween book. Mm-hmm. To My sister read. reads it every year. Does in she? October. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a. It, it's, and it's short. It's short. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect, perfect, perfect Halloween, Halloween book. So that's Coraline by Neil Gaiman. I think it's awesome, too, that he he captures the like what what is truly scary to most people is something that's familiar. That's a little off. Right. Like, and he he gets that. Yes. So. So if you think about like the worst nightmares you've had, it's at least for me, there are people that I know doing things that are not what they would do right. in real life. And that's really unsettling. Yeah. And he gets that. He doesn't have to throw a lot of blood and guts at right, you to, right. to scare so, you it's, this is not quite right, right and you're trying to figure out you don't really know why it's not quite right at first and mm-hmm. or she doesn't and so you're trying to figure it out and that's really you know there's an uncertainty there that's really yeah. disturbing and so yeah it's so good uh, that's such a good book <laughs> all right what's your next one for me my next book is witches volume one who it's written by scott snyder and Ill- illustrated by jock and this is a graphic novel, which is unusual for me, um, but I've seen this recommended in multiple places, and so I, I knew that I had to read it for a Halloween read. And it's about the Rooks family, who have just moved to rural New Hampshire after they've had several family traumas. So the mother, Lucy, was recently in a car accident that left her in a wheelchair, and um, the father is named Charlie, and he's a recovering alcoholic. And together they have a 13-year-old daughter named Sale, who was being horrifically bullied by a girl who then died under mysterious circumstances and sale is grappling with guilt over what happened in in that scenario so on her first day of school sale finds out that the other kids at school already know what's going what has happened with her and she starts to think that she sees this gory uh horrific mutilation of of the girl that died watching her from outside her window so um so her parents are keep keep assuring her that everything is okay and and she's trying to move forward but she's really struggling with this so she goes to bed on the evening of her first day of school and after a little while charlie her dad hears a scream and and glass shattering and he runs upstairs and finds that sale is on the ground bleeding and the window is broken so um sale has a history of anxiety and depression and so her parents aren't really sure what to believe in what is going on with her they don't know exactly what happened with the bully and they don't know exactly what what is happening with her now and she's having problems with, with her new school so it's it's just sort of they want to believe her but they're also having a hard time themselves and so she has another bad day at school and she abruptly leaves but she never comes home so on that same day at basically the same time that this is happening then charlie is working from home he's a a, actually writes graphic novels in the book yeah and so he's working at home and he starts to hear strange noises upstairs in sales room and when he he goes upstairs to investigate he enters the room and an old woman with peg legs attacks him mm. peg legs mm. scary a, yeah but nice peg legs <laughs> yeah and so she drugs him and then tells him a strange story about witches with a y which is the title of the book it's mm. it's which is spelled with a y and these are different creatures than our than we know as the traditional witch 
they're much older and they are kind of an earthier evil um, and their threat is very different than what we would normally expect from from someone casting spells so I, I don't want to tell you too much about what they are because that's sort of the pleasure of seeing these little glimpses of them through through the beginning of the book but they're super creepy and you wouldn't want to mess with one so sale has disappeared and her father has this this really bizarre experience and they're tied together somehow so the story goes out from there I think that this book is a better example of horror as we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast because it has some extremely graphic elements and I know that if I had seen this in a movie I would have had to walk away probably within the first page Mm -hmm. Um, there's a prequel in the book that's a couple of pages and like eight frames or something that was horrifying Um, in in print form I could handle it but in 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 a movie I would absolutely be done that, that that's not for me but but there's some there's a way to to remove myself I guess when yeah. I'm reading things yes. versus when I'm watching um, things even even though it's a graphic novel so I'm still seeing stuff that mm-hmm. I still have a hard time with but so if you're looking for things that are a little more bloody then this is a book that would mm-hmm. work for you but there's also this really sweet family element that's that's going through the novel I think you know when we were talking about torture movies that's just meant to kind of be sadistic and mm-hmm. and to mess with you mm-hmm. with your head but the author scott snyder talks about uh at the end of the book he writes an essay talking about the choices that he made for the story and how he's working through his own personal feelings of mental illness and being a father and not feeling adequate as a father and it was just kind of really wonderful mm-hmm. to read that at the end so it's it's about more than just scaring the reader but there there's still plenty of stuff to scare you in this i couldn't read this one at night so mm-hmm. But I guess that there is, so this is volume one, it's six comics that were compiled. And so it's a complete arc, but then okay. they're working right now on the, the second volume. Okay. So, so it definitely leaves you at the end of the book with, with questions on what will happen, but, mm-hmm. but it does sort of complete itself too. So that is Witches volume one by Scott Snyder and Jock. All right. So my next one is The Fireman by Joe Hill. Ooh. Joe Hill is classic horror. Joe well, Hill I guess is not classic, classic, classic. but he's yes. he's the he's, horror boy of the moment, right? He's Stephen King's son, and I've only so I've read two Stephen King books in my life, but neither of them are really his horror novels. Right. One's eleven twenty two sixty three, which I loved, which mm-hmm. at some point I'll probably talk about. And the other one was Mister Mercedes, which mm-hmm. was also very good, and it did I guess have some horror element, but it was more of a mystery yeah anyway so joe hill is more in the vein of like classic stephen king from what i understand although i have to say this was so i I read it or actually listened to the audiobook just for this podcast nice uh just to try to venture outside of my comfort zone a little bit with horror but i really felt like this was even though it is horror it was more of like a thriller apocalyptic kind of a thriller mm-hmm. than straight up horror in the way we've been talking well, about. And that's so interesting with horror because it, it encompasses so right. much. It's it's like post-apocalyptic right. stuff. It's zombies. It's and this ghosts. is like an adventure it's, kind yeah, of a story too. It, it's like it's a catch-all yeah. for anything that has unnatural right. things in it. Which, which makes sense to me because romance is the same way mm-hmm. where basically all romance is that there's love the love story is the primary story mm-hmm. but it encompasses so many different types right. of books i mean you have mysteries and you have historical and you have supernatural right. and you have all these different things they all fall under the romance umbrella yeah. but so it's the same with horror it's just because i don't read much of it mm-hmm. that's i think why it always surprises me mm-hmm. when i when i come across one that's horror but i'm like well wait this is really 
got so many other things right. going on. It's hard for librarians that like to categorize things. No. <laughs> um, anyway, so this one is about an epidemic called Dragon Scale, and no one exactly knows how it started or who's responsible, but it spreads incredibly rapidly, and it causes people to spontaneously burst into flames. Oh. And it's you if you come in contact with the ash from somebody who has burst into flames then that's how you contract the disease so you know if you have ash it can spread you know the wind spreads it or mm-hmm. you know if you don't have to it, that's why it can spread so quickly because you easy. have to come into direct contact with a person mm-hmm. that has it and the main character is named Harper Willows and she is a nurse and she tended to hundreds of the infected before her hospital burst into flames and she herself develops the rash that signifies the beginning of the disease Um, She also, around the same time, discovers that she's pregnant, and she's determined to have the baby no matter what, because she's actually seen people with the disease who deliver healthy babies, but then they, she she knows she would basically have to give the baby away once she had it, but she's okay with that. She wants to bring the baby to term. However, she and her husband had, when this all started, made a pact to commit suicide when they came down with the disease, and in theory, that sounded like what she wanted but now that she actually has come down with the disease and is pregnant she no longer wants to do that because she feels like she has something to live for but her husband whose name is Jacob becomes completely completely unhinged and attempts to complete the pact despite her resistant oh my god resistance excuse me and ultimately somebody who's dressed as a fireman intervenes and Harper's able to get away and her husband abandons the effort and goes off on his own so is this a, a pact where they both will commit they suicide if one of them yes. gets it okay yes because they know that being married, if one of them gets it, mm-hmm. most likely the other one will right. contract it at some point. Because it's interesting. So it's not just one spontaneous combustion that kills you. You, As it develops, you develop this sort of rash thing, and it will catch on fire. So if you have it on your arm, like your arm will catch on fire. Wow. Or like shoot oh, off okay. flames without your whole body necessarily yeah. doing it. So um, the mysterious man who's wearing this fireman's uniform seems to have this dragon scale, but he's able to harness the fire for his use, and he protects himself and those around him. And so Harper joins him and the others in his group, and she's hoping that she can also learn how to control it so that way she can have her baby and, and live her life. I, like I said, it's sort of an adventure story because it's like a survival story about how these people are trying to manage their disease in a world that's falling apart because society has crumbled all these people are so sick and dying and um and but it's also got this supernatural element Mm -hmm. of it's sort of explained what the disease is in like a scientific way but it is a little bit supernatural i mean people bursting into flames doesn't yeah scientists proven I don't think Spinal tap then. Um, so like I said I listened to the audiobook which is read by Kate Mulgrew who is known she's an actress and she's well known she was Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager which I've never seen but I think that's how most people know her she's yeah. also now currently on Orange is the New Black um, oh, okay. as Red and she's been in multiple she's on a soap opera maybe one life to live or something in the 70s or 80s um, so I just think people generally kind of know her she's had mm-hmm. a she's I'm guessing in her 50s or 60s now, and she's had a full career since mm-hmm. she was a young girl in, in, in acting. And it's a really good audio, excuse me, it's a really good audio book. She has this, this voice that just, it's kind of gritty a little bit, and so it, it brings the, the tension up as she's, as she's telling the story. Um, and it's really well paced. The, the, the audio book was pretty long. It was 22 hours. Oh, my word. Um, and and it, I wouldn't say it's, 
I don't know how to say it. It's not really fast moving because it feels sort of like every. It's not action, 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 back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it never really felt like it dragged at all. Um, and it was really engaging. And, and this was a good way for me as me personally to read a horror because I was like, well, if I, I can kind of tune out if it, mm-hmm. if it got too graphic, but it never really did. It never, it never, there were a couple of scenes that were a little bit violent, but it mm-hmm. wasn't too bad. Um, so that's The Fireman by Joe Hill. And it's a good for it's a good read for newbies like me to the horror. <laughs> that sounds really good. Okay, my last book is A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, and this is my new favorite book officially. Oh, um, ever? Well, like or this I can't, year, the the book I'm obsessed with right now. So, oh my goodness! But I put I'm it so up there in one it. of my my favorite books. I adored it. I read it to prep for the podcast after having it on my radar for a while and I can't stop thinking about it. So I really need someone else to read it to talk about with me because I'm having a hard time right now. Hallie. Not going to be me. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Ghosts no, you is can't, in the title. It's you can't, not you can't deal with this. I could hardly deal with this book. Yes, so nope, no. Nope, nope. Find somebody else. <laughs> Maybe an, an intrepid listener will yes. will read it and Somebody then send volunteer. me some messages on online. So the story of this book is it revolves around the Barrett family, and it's told from the perspective of their youngest daughter named Meredith, but she's called Mary throughout the book. Um, and she she tells the story both as a woman in her twenties, but primarily in the book, she's an eight year old that's living with her family in Massachusetts, and the family is struggling with their other daughter Marjorie, who is fourteen. And she is being treated by a psychiatrist for acute acute schizophrenia, um, but nothing seems to be working with the traditional treatments for that. Her behavior is really unsettling. She'll be friendly and loving one minute, but then, um, and so the family will sort of relax. But then as she's talking, things will start to gradually change in the conversation. So so she inserts these really subtle threats and, and creepy stories. And and it's it's really eerie to read when you think everything is okay and suddenly you realize that she's sort of changing the, what she's talking about. And so that's that's more common. But then she'll also sometimes commit really shocking acts that terrify the family. So they're constantly on edge and they're basically just just at the end of their rope with with what to do on this. Unfortunately, it's not just Marjorie that's causing the family to break. The father of the family, who's named John, has been he's been out of work for a really long time. I think it's it's about a year and a half um, at the beginning of the story, and they're barely scraping by financially. And to deal with this, he's become increasingly religious, and he's trying to make the family um, sort of share his devotion. But they're, the mother of the family, named Sarah, she's very against this and doesn't have any religious feeling. Um, it just thinks it's all a sham. Um, and so she turns to drinking to try to dull the pain. So this family is just just very very stretched at this point so as things are getting worse with marjorie they are encouraged by the catholic priest that has befriended john to consider performing an exorcism and that he has connections that can bring in a crew and film it for a reality show so since the family has no other financial options they decide they're going to do this there's a lot of tension between these parents on this decision um, but they don't know what else to do so the so the crew moves in and um, films the Barretts and it becomes a six-part show called The Possession and so the the book is set the the parts when when Mary is eight years old it's set and sort of the action of the book is set current day and then 
there's also a, an adult Mary that's talking in hindsight, and so it's supposed to be 15 years in the future. Um, but the author does a really good job of capture, capturing both her adult voice and the eight-year-old's thoughts and points of view. So there's things that you see that you know Mary doesn't quite understand, but they make more sense to you because you're an adult and you, you can process things differently, which is really creepy to see, to have her not talk about something or to to sort of brush something off where you're like, whoa, 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 this, mm. this is a big deal. This just happens. So um, so the author does a great job of, of sort of manipulating you like that. And there's also several frames that draw you in to the, the book. So there's a reporter that's interviewing an adult Mary on what happened. And then there's also this blog that's, that's sort of interspersed through the text that is analyzing the show and giving um, all this perspective on on things in hindsight so it's really well crafted and and just all the there's all these little devices to make you find out information in in little like doles it out in little mm-hmm. chunks so that you're not just being hit over the head with everything all at once you just you find out little bits of information um, at a time and it's it's just so well crafted and so well done and it's terrifying i was so scared <laughs> reading this book i could only read it during the day um i i get really scared watching scary movies but tend to be okay when i'm reading things and and i don't like we said we i just my imagination doesn't really go there that well but i could only have happy music playing i could only have the lights on i was so scared and i still had trouble sleeping like a week later this oh book is so scary so um but in in a way that i loved like i i hate it in the moment when i'm terrified but mm-hmm. i i love it i i love reading them anyway so there's tons of allusions to classic horror texts in this there's it and and movies there's obviously a huge allusion to the exorcist and there's also all, a lot of elements that reference paranormal activity the the movie series and and a lot of other horror texts that i'm sure i didn't pick up on but it also references um, one of my favorite books we have always lived in the castle by oh, shirley yeah, jackson you talked about that last year yeah. on our Halloween um so mary i think is a a direct descendant mm-hmm. of of uh, mary cat in that book um with her name and so and so that was extremely fun to to see that written into the book the thing that was the best about it was that even though I was super scared as I was reading the book, as it came to the end, I sort of felt more sad at, at when I started to understand what was actually going on. It didn't scare me as much as it made me sad. And then at the very last line, it busted everything open and I was left completely terrified and completely emotionally gutted. And I really need someone to read this book so I can talk about it because there's a lot of ambiguity by the end. Yeah. Oh my gosh, someone please read this book. It was so, so good. It was so good. So, um, I will. I've been talking about it all week at work. So you're making me almost want to read it. I'll just tell you everything that happens okay. later. Because <laughs> I, I don't you. know that you can Thank deal you with it. Thank you for shielding me. <laughs> I want to protect you from your your sleepless nights you. that you'd have I with us. I appreciate that. Yes, um, and that's called "A Head Full of Ghosts" by Paul Tremblay. And how did you find that one? Um, I think I got an arc of it oh. a while ago and just never got to it. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had it in my head. And he just came out with a new book called. Uh, something of disappearance at something rock i can't remember all of it but i'll link to it um and so it seems like he's getting a lot of attention right now and actually i I don't know if this is how the book became famous but stephen king tweeted that this book terrified him and that and then that i I don't know if it was already getting a lot of attention before that or if that was what made it blow up but um but it's gotten a lot of attention Mm. and a lot of praise from yes i've heard of it i uh never delved too deep obviously into yeah. because it didn't seem like something <laughs> that would be. Uh, uh, it's just great 
All right. So my last one is The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Uh, This is a classic novella where uh, people have been debating for more than 100 years what the evil is that is lurking behind this story. Um, So if you haven't read it, it's about a governess who is hired to look after the niece and nephew, whose names are Flora and Miles. Uh, They're the the niece and nephew of a man who wants nothing to do with the children, uh, basically. They're... Their parents have died, and he is responsible for them. Um, But he kind of sets Miles, puts Miles in a boarding school, and Flora is at a a remote country estate for the summer. And the governess has said basically her her mission is to not bother this man and just go and take care of the children and never contact him, pretty much. She goes to this country estate, and Flora is there, and soon after, Miles arrives for his summer vacation. Um, but he has a note states, which states that he has been expelled from school, and it doesn't give a reason why, and Miles isn't really forthcoming with why, and the governess is reluctant to ask why. So there's sort of this a little bit of a question mark about what happened and what he did to get expelled. And at the same time, she starts seeing figures of a man and a woman who appear suddenly at windows and around the grounds different places and they appear without warning and frighten her and after speaking to some people um members of the household staff and the housekeeper she becomes convinced that these are the ghosts of people who had previously worked in the house and had a relationship and that somehow the children are aware of their presence and so she gets it in her head that they're being controlled by these ghosts the kids are because the kids are sort of preternaturally perfect kids like they're they're really quiet and they're well-mannered and they don't do anything bad and she just feels like this is these are not ordinary it's unnatural it's like an an unnaturally well-behaved children i don't really want to say too much more about Mm -hmm. what happens so because there's just this question as you're reading along we've talked before about unreliable narrators Mm -hmm. and how much we love them because you can never be exactly sure what the truth is and in this case it's like you're wondering is she insane like is she going crazy is she imagining all of this or maybe there really are ghosts because she's seeing when she describes them to the people who've worked in the house they're saying oh yeah those are these two people that used to work here who died so there's just this question is it the house that's haunted or what's exactly happening Um, and then you throw in creepy kids who Mm -hmm. are too well behaved so something weird is going on and so it's really atmospheric and it's really moody um and but it's not too scary it's Mm -hmm. not it's more of the suspense aspect of what's happening so for those of us who veer on the the wimpy side of horror it's a good one and it's short it's like i said it's a novella so i think it's around 100 100 pages maybe Mm -hmm. um so it's in another good halloween read if you wanted to read it this weekend a quick get you in the mood for Halloween book Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's The Turn of the Screw by Henry James it's classic it is a classic so Um, many good creepy texts came out of that time period it's like that gothic yeah yeah. I'm eternally grateful for it it's framed so much of my life (laughs) ever since (laughs) alright so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week And what are you reading this week? So this week, after reading horror all day, I needed something else at night. I can't read horror books right before I go to sleep. I'm too much of a wimp for that. So instead, I I read a book called East by Edith 
uh, Patu. And this is a retelling of the fairy tale East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which is a Scandinavian fairy tale that has um, really deep similarities to both the, the myth of Cupid and Psyche and to the fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. So it's thought that, that East of the Sun and West of the Moon is an offshoot, and Beauty and the Beast both are offshoots of Cupid and Psyche. So if um, so, I'm actually going to post a resource that is this really beautiful and informative uh, fairy tale website, and it tells you all about sort of the the way that fairy tales are cataloged, because I can talk about that for hours, but I'm not going to, because I get really excited about those things of like the different motifs that show up across different countries. So um, but I'll post a, a link to that. So this book is about a girl named Rose, and she lives in 16th century Norway with her family. And she has six brothers and sisters because her mother is very superstitious, and she wanted to have children that were named after each point of the compass rose and were born facing each direction. Um, she believes that that will give each child the certain characteristics but she won't face one uh, or she won't have a child that's facing north or that was born facing north because those children are prone to wander she had also been told i can't remember at what point in the story before rose is born but she was told that that if she had a child facing north it would be crushed by ice and snow and so she she won't let that happen so um, unfortunately when rose is born there's a storm going on and so her mother becomes confused and just as after rose is born then the clouds part and she realizes that her daughter was facing north but she tries to ignore this throughout her life and basically makes up a whole story about how she was actually facing east so we know good things are not going to come from that. <laughs> um, so as Rose grows up to be a young woman, the family falls in misfortune and becomes destitute. And one of Rose's sisters falls ill and is close to death. But a huge white bear appears in their doorway and offers to change the family's fortunes and to save her sister if if Rose will go with him. Um, and she insists that she's going to do this. She Her parents try to to change her mind but she she decides that this is what she wants to do so she's taken to a castle in a mountain and she's given every comfort but every night the candles in her bedroom go out and she can tell that someone enters her room um, but she can't see who this is so after a year she um, begs to go home to visit her family because she's getting really lonely and she has a good relationship with with the white bear that lives there he's he sort of moves in and out of the castle silently but they they sort of come to have an affection with each other but she's she just misses her family and so she um she has to go home and he agrees but he says that she has to come back within a few weeks and when she's at home her mother becomes very curious about her life in the castle and says that she's going to give her this special candle that will help her find out who's coming into her, her room every night so when rose returns she follows the instructions and she sees that there's an han- a handsome man that's lying on the bed with her and she she she's sort of entranced by him but then she doesn't pay attention to the fact that hot wax is dripping down on him and it wakes him up and he cries out that she's ruined everything and that now he has to marry a troll queen and then everything disappears and she's left standing alone in the snow um and has to figure out what to do and just before he oh i left this out he says that the troll queen lives east of the sun and west of the moon and so rose decides that she has to find where this place is and that she'll she'll save him so she turns north and goes seeking him and i liked that the search for this enchanted bear isn't so much because she's in love with him even though that that definitely comes into the story but she feels like there's this wrong that she's committed and that she needs to fix this which is kind of a different take on the fairy tale of of just romance and and it's also a girl that is is saving a prince which right. is a different a totally yeah. different story than what we usually hear um and there's a lot of cool scandinavian elements that are that are incorporated into the book and it even involves the native people of greenland at one point so that was very cool that she did a lot of research to to sort of make this story feel like it's a it's all set in the real world except it just has this 
these fantasy elements. So, so I really appreciated that. I thought that was a neat a neat way of doing it instead of having it be just a complete made up um, country. So, so yeah, it's a it's a good retelling. It's called East by Edith Patu. All right, so the book I actually am reading this week was The Wrath and the Dawn, but you've already talked about that. <laughs> that's funny, we both did retellings. I know. <laughs> so I didn't do it on purpose, but that's my, I'll just give a little plug. I really liked The Wrath and the Dawn, but I'm not going to talk about it and again. There's a sequel that came out. Yes. And it's, it's only two books. So really? I put it on I hold. It was a trilogy. And then I went on to line to look at what the third book was because I just figured it was a teen book. Yeah. Surely there are going to be three right. in the series, and it's only two. So oh, I was like, so that's nice. awesome. So I put it on hold, and when oh, I get it, uh, it will be all done. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what the book I'm going to talk about, I actually read last week. And it's called The Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Erin <laughs> Carmen and Shana Nizhnik. I apologize if I mispronounced that last name. Um, and I think I mentioned in our last episode, maybe, that I was about to read this because the book riot read harder challenge. Mm-hmm. One of the categories was to read a biography. Right. And I don't ordinarily read biographies. I like memoirs and autobiographies a lot. But I often think of biographies as being sort of dry and boring mm-hmm. and long. And so I just shy away from those. Mm-hmm. So this book totally blew that idea out of the water. It was really interesting and informative and funny and lively. And it was just it was just such a treat to read it. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in case you don't know, is a Supreme Court justice who has spent her career fighting for equality of all kinds, uh, most notably racial and gender Mm-hmm. Um, equality. Um, and she is very well known for her articulate dissents on Supreme Court rulings. And she's also well known because she's a pretty slight woman. She's only like five feet tall and she's rather thin. But don't let that <laughs> fool you because she's really smart. She's really strong. She works out uh, several times a week with a personal trainer. And one of the things she said is she can do 20 push-ups. When somebody asked her about it, she said, well, sometimes I have to break it up into two sets. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well then. <laughs> I guess that's not as big of a deal to be like in your 80s and being able to do 20 push-ups. She was put on the Supreme Court, I think, in the, what would it be, early 90s. She was a Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. So she's been on it for a while. And it's sort of strange with this election. I'm sure every presidential election, but this one is so fraught uh, that it comes up a lot about, um, you know, there are three Supreme Court justices that are potentially going to need to be replaced during this next president's um, term. And I think it would be a, sort of a weird feeling to know that everybody is just kind of waiting for you to yeah. retire or die so you can be replaced. So that's I don't very know. It's very weird. weird. Anyway, so this biography includes information about her life and her, both her personal life and her professional life and it's also sprinkled with the actual dissents that she's written from some oh, monumental awesome. cases and they're annotated so it's really helpful for me who's a non-legal person because I can read the dissent and I mean she writes in a way that you still understand what she's saying but it's very helpful to have the annotations to um, understand the references mm-hmm. and, and what the impact really is of what she's saying um, so she's a really fascinating woman. I kind of want to be her when I grow up. Um, and she's survived two types of cancer. She's to, the, Her husband died several years ago. They've been married for, I think, 50-some years. And as I said, she works out with this personal trainer. She's just such an interesting, intriguing person. And I was really glad. These are the reasons I do those sorts of book challenges mm-hmm. or try to read outside of what I would pick up because I would never have picked this up on my own, mm-hmm. I don't think. Or it would not. I It was on my radar, but I don't know if it would have ever gotten to the top of my to-read pile right. except other than this. And so I was really glad I read it. Uh, it's called The Notorious RBG, The 
the life and times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Erin Carmen and Shana Nizhnik. And it's it's a cool book because it's it's almost like a scrapbooky kind of yes, yes. format. Well, it's, it's not just a big brick of a right, biography. Yeah, yeah. It's um, lots of photos and mm-hmm. some drawings. People have sort of what they did is. The, Notorious RBG came from the Notorious B.I.G. Right. rapper, and so somebody had taken a photo of her and kind of put a crown on her, drew a crown on her, and something else. Um, I can't think of it now. But so they took things like that, the sort of pop culture mm-hmm. interpretations of her and her life, and, and included it. Yeah. So it's a it's a really fun, it's like interesting making her a hip hop icon. Yeah, exactly. And I think awesome. there was a, a Tumblr first. I think that's what it, they said. That was the Notorious RBG, uh-huh. where they would collect those things and write write about her how cool she was mm-hmm. so it was great i really liked it all right so that's it for us this week do you want to go back and list all the books you talked about and yes um i talked about the devil and silver by victor laval which is volume one written by scott snyder and illustrated by jock a head full of ghosts by paul tremblay and what i read this week was east by edith patu and i talked about Coraline by neil gaiman the fireman by joe hill the turn of the screw by henry james and the notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Erin Carmen and Shana Nizhnik. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss or to talk to Anne about the book she's obsessed with, <laughs> you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. It helps people find our show. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>